You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. What does Sputnik have to do with student loans? How did a set of trembling hands end the Soviet Union? How did inflation kill moon bases? And how did a former president decide to run for a second non-consecutive term? These are among the topics we deal with on the My History Can Beat Up Your Politics podcast. We tell stories of history that relate to today's news events. Give a listen. My History Can Beat Up Your Politics wherever you get podcasts. Hello, and thank you for joining the American Revolution. Today, Episode 81, Common Sense. In January 1776, a new political pamphlet swept across the colonies. Common Sense was first published in Philadelphia as an anonymous pamphlet. The first run of a thousand copies quickly sold out, and numerous reprints began to pop up all over the continent. Later editions named the author as Thomas Paine. Many men at the time, as well as future historians, credit the publication of Common Sense as the catalyst that finally convinced the vast majority of Americans that they had to fight for complete independence from Britain. Before I talk about the document, I want to talk a little about the man who wrote it. Thomas Paine had been born in Thetford, England in 1737. His father was a Quaker who made a living making stays. There's a popular myth that Paine's father was a corset maker. This is based on a misunderstanding. In the 1800s, stays were solid reinforcements usually made from whalebone that were part of a corset. Historians at the time thought they were talking about those kinds of stays. They were not. The stays that the Payne family made were thick ropes that were used in ships. Payne's mother came from a well-off Anglican family. It appears that the family may have distanced itself from her after she married a Quaker. Thomas received a good education, but left school at age 13 to begin work as an apprentice staymaker. That was more education than most working-class children received. It would have been extremely unusual for a working-class student to attend school beyond the age of 13 or 14. Many students left school at even younger ages to begin earning money for their families. Payne seemed impatient with the life of a simple working-class craftsman. At age 12, about the time he realized that he would soon have to leave school and start work, he tried to run away and join a privateer, only to have his father drag him off the ship and back home. At age 17, during the Seven Years' War, Payne took a job on another ship where he served for several months, though he did not seem to like the life of a sailor very much either. He spent several more years at home making stays like his father, but clearly felt trapped in that life. A few years later, Payne began work as an excise officer. There, he collected taxes, primarily on alcohol and tobacco, as well as the highly unpopular cider tax. He had to investigate possible smugglers and ensure that merchants paid all appropriate taxes to the Crown. Now, that was an okay job as a low-level civil servant. 
An excise officer made about 50 pounds per year, though after paying taxes and upkeep on a horse required for the job, substantially less was left over. The life of a tax collector was also a lonely one, requiring regular travel and not one that lent itself to making friends. Nevertheless, Payne settled into his working-class life. He got married in 1759, and his wife quickly became pregnant. Sadly, both the wife and child died in childbirth the following year. Payne was devastated. He would remain single for the next decade. When he married again, it would be to the daughter of a widow that he knew, and there is good evidence that the couple never lived together as husband and wife. Payne took up an interest in politics, gravitating to the radical Whig politics led by men like John Wilkes. Without money or family, though, there was no way Payne would ever have a career in politics. He continued working as an excise officer, growing increasingly frustrated with his life. He turned his attention to the labor movement to improve pay for excise officers. In 1772, he wrote a pamphlet calling for better wages for excise officers, which he had printed and distributed all over London, mostly targeting members of Parliament. And I'm going to mention a number of Payne's documents here, and I'll say that I have links to all the original documents on my blog in case you want to read the original documents. Just go to blog.amrevpodcast.com. Payne's first published pamphlet pointed out that excise officers often had to take second jobs to support their families, meaning they ended up neglecting their tax duties. Their impoverished state left a strong temptation toward neglect and corruption. Payne spoke from personal experience. Years earlier, he had lost his job for stamping goods that he had not bothered to inspect, though he got the job back a short time later. He also held a variety of other jobs while working as an excise officer. For a time, he worked as a schoolteacher. In April 1774, though, his superiors fired him once again. This time, they accused him of smuggling untaxed tobacco, which he sold in a tobacco shop that he ran on the side. Speculation, though, is that his superiors wanted him gone because of his continuing labor agitation for more pay and better working conditions. Whatever the reason, Payne was out of work for good this time. He was in his late 30s and looking to start his life over again. To avoid being thrown into debtor's prison, Payne sold his house to pay off his debts. He separated from his wife and moved to London. Sometime after his arrival in London, he made the acquaintance of Benjamin Franklin, still working as an American agent in London. Franklin recommended that he move to America and start a new life there. So, Payne moved to Philadelphia in November 1774. A few months later, he began work as editor of Pennsylvania Magazine in January 1775. The magazine covered a little of everything. Politics, science, business, and poetry. He quickly gravitated to the radical politics of the Patriots, in his first months, he possibly co-wrote an article condemning American slavery. Exact authorship of the article is disputed. A month later, he became one of the founding members of Philadelphia's Society for the Relief of Free Negroes 
unlawfully held in bondage. The first abolition organization in America. Later that same month, word arrived in Philadelphia of the fighting at Lexington and Concord. Payne almost immediately put aside his focus on abolition and turned to the cause of independence. At this point, most Americans, including most patriot leaders, still did not believe the colonies should be independent. If they did, they kept such treasonous and unpopular ideas to themselves. Even after the shots fired at Lexington, most patriots still hoped for reform that would bring the colonies back to an acceptable place within the British Empire. Payne, however, became an early outspoken proponent of breaking all political ties with England. He also took positions radical for the time, including support for women's rights and attacking the concept of aristocracy itself. In the weeks after Lexington, he wrote several articles for his magazine that advocated for independence. Although his radical views had their critics, the magazine grew in popularity and along with it Paine's reputation among the patriots. Paine, however, was never one to allow his personal success to last very long. He started to fight with his publisher, and by the summer of 1775, quit after requesting a raise and not receiving it. So in the fall of 1775, he began to write a pamphlet on independence, which hit the streets of Philadelphia on January 9, 1776. The first edition of Common Sense left the author anonymous. Payne's authorship, however, quickly became common knowledge. Part of the appeal of common sense was that it did not simply repeat all the arguments over English encroachments on traditional colonial rights. It went much further, attacking fundamental assumptions of monarchy and colonialism. The work began with the common social contract notion that all government is, at best, a necessary evil to allow people to live together in a society. But then he went on to attack directly the idea of monarchical government, run by a man who had no legitimacy to rule over others other than the fact that he was the son of the previous ruler. Similarly, aristocracy was not based on merit, but on inheritance of power. He pointed to the biblical story of how the Jews first demanded a king and the fact that, while God did not see a king as necessary, allowed his people to have one. Payne used this as evidence that a state of equality is God's plan, and that kings are simply the result of people's rejection of God's plan. Next, Payne attacked the absurdity of having a small island ruling an entire continent. America completely dwarfed England in size. The idea that Americans would allow themselves to be ruled by a tiny island just made no sense. America had already developed to the point that it did not need Britain anymore. To the notion that Americans owed some debt to England for developing the colonies, Payne pointed out that England had always operated the colonies from self-interest and had benefited greatly from trade for centuries. America owed Britain nothing. Not content with the trade benefits Britain had already received, it now wanted to take even more from the colonies through taxation. When Americans resisted this encroachment, 
Britain attacked America with military force, therefore destroying any loyalty which Americans might have been inclined to give. Because America had evolved to the point where it could operate independently, Britain had become an impediment to American progress. He argued that an independent America could conduct much more profitable trade directly with Europe if it could get out from under British trade laws and restrictions. Even if Britain did back down on this current crisis, these same issues would return over and over. The only way to stop that was to become an independent nation. Now going beyond the call for independence, Payne next turned to an explanation of what sort of government should rule America. He presented a detailed plan for a convention to create a new government, with each colony sending five representatives and each colonial legislature sending another two representatives to meet and create a new continental charter, essentially a constitution, which would better define the government. Continuing on, Payne lays out details that the charter should include. It should protect basic freedoms and property, including freedom of religion. In the new government, each state would elect a delegation of 30 representatives. Congress would then elect a president from a particular state selected by lottery. Each state would hold the presidency once until all states got a chance to have a president. Then the lottery would start over. Congress would pass all laws by a three-fifths majority. Finally, Payne attacked the idea that Britain's military was too powerful. He noted that America's resources would allow it to build a larger navy than Britain's if only Americans would step up and get it done. He also noted that while the colonies were pretty united at the moment, over time divisions would arise. Therefore, now was the best time to seek independence. Otherwise, this feeling of unity might fade and prevent America from becoming a continental power. He also noted that America's untapped wealth from Western lands could help pay for the costs of the fight for independence. Declaring independence was also the only way to get help from Europe. At the time, Europe viewed the rebellion as an internal British matter. By declaring independence, America could seek help from Europe in its fight for liberty. In other words, America should seek independence and seek it right away. Common sense quickly became the most popular reading material in America, and quickly spread to England and Europe as well. The first 1,000 copies sold out right away. Payne immediately got into a fight with his publisher. Payne had hoped to use the profits of the first printing to buy supplies for the soldiers fighting in Quebec. But the publisher told him there were no profits. Payne fired his publisher and found another. Meanwhile, the original publisher continued to print more copies for sale. Publishers all over the continent also began reprinting the pamphlet. There were at least 25 separate printings in the first year. Estimates of first-year sales ranged from 100,000 to 500,000 copies. Not bad at a time when few American newspapers had circulations over a thousand. Even if these estimates are inflated, there is no doubt that the pamphlet quickly became known to just about everyone in the colonies. Pamphlets like these were commonly read aloud to groups at taverns or other public places. 
George Washington had common sense read aloud to the army around Boston and commented that it worked wonders, convincing the men of the army to remain in support of the cause. Washington also noted that the pamphlet had persuaded him to support independence. John Adams celebrated the publication as finally moving the American public toward favoring independence. Almost all Patriot correspondence in early 1776 referenced common sense and its impact on moving the public mind in favor of independence. Certainly the writing, both in style and substance, had a big impact on its popularity. But the timing of the publication probably also contributed to its success. Paine's attack on the monarchy came around the same time that Americans were learning that King George had declared the colonies in a state of rebellion and for them to be crushed militarily. His notions of American military power came just months before Washington successfully drove the entire British army out of Boston. Paine's ideas hit at just the right time to convince people, in light of other events, that America could and should be independent. Of course, such a controversial work was not without critics. One of the most famous criticisms was entitled The Deceiver Unmasked, or Loyalty and Interest United, in answer to a pamphlet entitled Common Sense. Charles Inglis, the author, was an Irish-born Anglican rector of Trinity Church in New York. Inglis points out that government is what makes society, with all of its benefits, possible. Without government, men would be reduced to a state of nature where they would constantly be at war with one another. While conceding that no government created by men can be perfect, the British government was the best on earth, leading to the quality of life that all colonists enjoyed at the time. Monarchy was the best form of government for a large empire, and with proper checks was the best protection against anarchy. He goes on to argue that the quality of life under Britain's hereditary monarchy was measurably better in almost every way than governments with elected leaders. He uses Poland as an example of the misery in countries with elected leaders, not mentioning that the Polish king was elected by only a small number of aristocrats. As a preacher, Inglis also seems to have taken deep offense at Paine's use of the Bible to criticize monarchy and spent several pages attacking that point. For example, Paine noted that the first monarchical governments were run by heathens. Inglis properly points out that early democracies were also developed by heathens. Inglis goes on to attack Paine for saying that Lexington was a turning point, one that requires Americans to reject the king. He points out that the king had not approved of the events that resulted in battle, nor did he even know about it until months afterwards. In fact, he notes that the colonies would not exist but for British protection. There is little doubt that some other European power would have taken control of North America absent the protection of Great Britain. Even though the colonies had matured, removal of that protection would only invite war and invasion from powers much more tyrannical than Britain had ever been. The suffering of the time was not the result of British tyranny. It was the result of colonial resistance leading to a state of war that currently existed. 
the cost of such a war would be far more than any taxes the colonies ever paid. Taxes were also far lower than the cost of maintaining an independent military to protect the continent in the future. Inglis then goes on into great detail about the costs of building and maintaining an independent military, not only to fight Britain, but other powers should Britain decide to walk away. Colonial taxes, he says, would be nothing compared to these costs. Britain and her colonies had a mutually beneficial relationship, and this move toward war and independence would only destroy all that. Instead, Inglis pleads with the people of America to come to their senses and negotiate a compromise with Britain to return to the harmonious era that they had long enjoyed. The attacks on common sense by Inglis and others seemed to fall on deaf ears. Payne's pamphlet clearly won the debate in the court of public opinion, and his popularity grew along with it. Payne refused all royalties on the publication, asking only that any profits be sent to support the Continental Army. This act, of course, increased and improved his public image, though most publishers simply sold the pamphlet and kept the money. Payne continued to write articles and letters through much of 1776. Sometime after the Declaration of Independence, he enlisted in the Continental Army and became an aide to General Nathaniel Greene. He would continue to write inspiring propaganda for the Army, including his famous 13-part series of articles entitled The Crisis, which I will of course discuss in future episodes. While I don't want to get into all the details of his future life now, Payne continued to seek controversy. Several of his future works called on government to adopt socialism and provide aid to the poor. He also directly attacked religion generally. He eventually moved to Paris to participate in the French Revolution. There, he served in France's revolutionary legislature and spent some time in prison for not being sufficiently revolutionary. He almost died during the Reign of Terror, but was eventually rescued and returned to America. He found his views on most things rejected and reviled by Americans. He died in relative obscurity. But despite his future troubles, in 1776, Payne noticeably moved public opinion in favor of independence. Common Sense is probably one of the most well-known revolutionary pamphlets from the era. Next week, we're going to move south again as patriots and loyalists in North Carolina do battle at Moores Creek Bridge. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. 
keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hi, welcome back to another American Revolution podcast book recommendation. Before I get to this week's recommendation, I want to thank Eric Larson for becoming my first supporter on Patreon. Eric is actually a podcaster himself. His day job is as a medical doctor, an anesthesiologist actually. His podcast, The Paradox, focuses on issues in modern medicine and the healthcare system. If you're interested in looking it up, it's P-A-R-A-D-O-C-S dot com. I met Eric online as he is a fan of the American Revolution podcast, and he gave me some great tips on how to improve my podcast as well. So thanks, Eric, for your continued support. For those of you unfamiliar with Patreon, it is an online service that allows the public to support podcasters and other online artists who provide the content that we all enjoy. It's sort of like NPR's donation system, where we all pitch in a small monthly donation to help with the cost of publishing our content. I just opened a Patreon account for myself recently and have offered some extra benefits to people who support the show. However, I'm still making everything that is already free still available for free, so it's all strictly voluntary. If I can raise enough money this way, I don't have to worry about putting annoying advertisements on the show. Also, I promise not to be one of those podcasters who begs for money every week. As a listener to other podcasts, I know that can get annoying. I may mention it from time to time, but not all the time. So if you do want to make a continuing donation through Patreon or a one-time donation, which you can do through PayPal, there are links to both methods on my website, www.amrevpodcast.com. All right, enough about that. Today's episode discussed Thomas Paine and his most famous work, Common Sense. It's hard to emphasize how much people really credit this one essay for stirring public opinion toward independence. The work was not only daring because it tackled issues that many feared to address openly. Let's face it, this kind of talk was sedition. It could get you hanged. In addition to the bold ideas, the work came with a direct simplicity that appealed to the average reader. So, before I get to my actual book recommendation, I'm also going to recommend that you read Common Sense itself, in full, if you haven't already. It's not very long, less than 50 pages, and is available as a free download all over the internet. I have a link to a copy on my blog at blog.amrevpodcast.com if you need help finding it. My book recommendation this week, though, is a biography of Thomas Paine. The man just had a fascinating life, and it's well worth reading about it. Back in high school, I read the classic Thomas Paine biography by Moncure Conway. That one is now over 100 years old and may be showing its age. There are quite a few more modern authors who have also taken a new look at Paine's life. The one I like and am recommending today is Tom Paine and Revolutionary America by Eric Foner. Now, Foner's book may be getting a little old itself, since it was first published in 1976, but it was updated again in 2004. Now, this may not be the best overall biography of Paine's full life. I like it because of its focus on Paine's years in America. 
Payne has a long and interesting life that covers lots of events in Britain and France. While these are no doubt interesting, I'm primarily focused right now on what Payne did in America, and that really is the focus of this book. Foner's book addresses some of the more obscure issues that a casual reader interested in a lifetime biography may find boring. Personally, I love diving into these issues that are not well known to the casual history reading public. If you like my podcast, you probably like these obscure issues too, since I often delve into such things. Foner's book is not terribly long at 326 pages, and only about 270 of that is actual text. Foner is a professor at Columbia University, so you can be sure there are lots of detailed endnotes. Foner has written many other history books, most focused on the Civil War era. Uh, His book about Payne, though, was published in 2004. So if you want a good read about Payne's life in America, Foner's book is a great place to start. Well, that's all for this week. I hope you will join me next week for another American Revolution podcast. The French Revolution set Europe ablaze. It was an age of enlightenment and progress, but also of tyranny and oppression. It was an age of glory and an age of tragedy. One man stood above it all. This was the Age of Napoleon. I'm Everett Rummage, host of the Age of Napoleon podcast. Join me as I examine the life and times of one of the most fascinating and enigmatic characters in modern history. Look for the Age of Napoleon wherever you find your podcasts.